0: few weeks since I've been with you this uh, morning, we're in Genesis chapter 27, but I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes in review because last time I was with you, we were in Genesis chapter 22. So our text this morning in, in chapter 27 deals with a topic that none of us can relate to, right? It's the topic of anger, that is to say the source of so much conflict and pain in our lives. Where does it come from and what do you do with it? Genesis chapter 27 tells that story, but back up. Genesis chapter 22 is kind of where the stage gets set. What we read was the story of the great patriarch Abraham, who was put through the ultimate test. Remember, God tests for the purpose of strengthening your faith, but Satan tempts for the purpose of weakening your faith. He's, he's, he's tested to give up what is most precious to him, his son, and he's willing to do so. God intervenes and provides the sacrifice, which the whole story actually points forward to Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Then in chapter 23, his wife, Sarah dies. It's an entire chapter devoted to her death. And the thing that's revealed is where she's buried. It's interesting because she's actually buried in this land that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. You might know it as the promised land. And so to be buried in a specific land was to claim ownership of it. It was a a reaffirmation of the promise that God had made to Abraham and his descendants. That's chapter 23. And then in chapter 24, Abraham's son Isaac finds a wife and her name is Rebecca. And there's this whole circumstance around a well. Well, that actually parallels what we're gonna read in chapter 29. So we're gonna cover both of those chapters together in another couple of. Weeks, because Isaac's son, Jacob, will also meet his wife beside a well. Then in chapters 25 and 26, Abraham sort of fades out of the scene and his son Isaac becomes prominent. What we learn is that Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and unfortunately, the family dysfunction continues. So much so that these two brothers will come to hate each other. One specifically, so much so that he won't find satisfaction until he kills his brother. Seems like one chapter after another is more family dysfunction and family dysfunction. And that's why the Bible is so incredibly relatable because there's a little bit of dis- dysfunction in every single one of our families, and the Bible does speak to it. The seeds of this dysfunction actually start with mom and dad who show favoritism. Dad, Isaac, is partial to Esau because they're very similar. Mom, Rebecca, is partial to Jacob because they're a lot alike. Jacob enjoyed being indoors. He enjoyed preparing food. Turns out he's a good chef. Esau is described as a man of the field. He's a hunter and gatherer. Now, for those of us that have had kids, you you might have made this observation. Isn't it amazing how different our kids can be? It's incredible. And every once in a while, God may bless you with your own version of a mini-me. Any of you have one of those? Those are so fun and terrifying. Because in that other little creature, you see so much of yourself. Your disposition, your likes, your dislikes. How about this? Your temperament. And sometimes it's even helpful to say to your spouse, let me help you understand what the kiddo is thinking and feeling right now because I can relate. Mom favors one child, dad favors another. And you don't think kids sense that and feel that? This is where the seeds of this dysfunction begin. Esau, because he's given so much, becomes impetuous and that's more his nature. He's a quick thinker and he's used to getting things his own way and he becomes very impetuous. And this sets the stage for what we're about to read in chapter 27, so we're going to back up in chapter 25 and read this little encounter that the brothers have. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. And he's exhausted, he's been out there hunting, and Esau said to his younger brother Jacob, they're twins, Esau's just a minute older, he says, let me eat some of that red stew that you got going there, for I am exhausted. Therefore, Esau's name was Edom, Edom means red. He's also the father of the Edomite nation. Jacob said, "Uh, sure, we'll do that for you, brother, but first, sell me your birthright. Sure, I'll prepare you food, but there's something I want from you in return. Give me your birthright. Give it to me now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him. And he sold his birthright to Jacob then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and he drank and he rose and he went his way thus Esau despised his birthright that is to say he considered his birthright of no value so what does that mean what was the big deal with a birthright well birthright was a big deal it was something that was given to the firstborn to be the firstborn was a position of privilege and honor it meant that you got the lion's share of the inheritance when dad was gone it also meant that you were to take The high honor of being responsible for the family. That's the birthright. And Esau says, you know, I'm really hungry. I could probably wait a little while and prepare something for myself, but you know what? I'm a man of appetites. Kind of like I'm in love with my stomach right now. And so why don't you feed me some of that good stuff and make it quick? And yeah, you can have my birthright, who cares? Now, why is he thinking this? Well, he is the older one. And sometimes other brothers, older brothers can have this mentality. My mom had four kids and less than 16 years later, Uh, My mom had four kids in less than six years, and then about 15 years later, I was born. (laughs) I'm an accident, but I'm here. (laughs) Older brothers, right, sometimes they can adopt that mentality. I'm the older brother. I can kind of do what I want around here. I'll just get it back when I want it. Who knows what he's thinking, but he regarded essentially the family name as being worthless. So this brings us to the tension in chapter 27. Many years have passed. The boys are now 70 years old. Dad is about to die and his final act, his act of legacy will be to bless Esau as the oldest and give him officially firstborn rights and privileges. Chapter 27 verse one, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, so he's blind, he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son, Esau says, yeah, dad, I'm here. He says, behold, I'm old. Senses are failing. I don't know the day of my death. Feels like it's soon. Take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, go out in the field, do what you do best, son. Hunt. Hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious foods such as I love. Bring it to me so that I may eat so that my soul can bless you before I die. My one last act is to pass on the family name and blessing to you. Eyesight is gone. Although he's gonna live quite a few years longer, there's an intensity to this interaction because he says, The deepest part of me wants to give this to you. That's why the word soul is used. Now, the lens is drawn back on this story. And as the lens is drawn back, another character enters, and it's mom, Rebecca. And she's listening to the conversation. Now remember, her love is for Jacob. Not so much Esau, but for Jacob. She's not really liking what she's hearing. Verse five, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, boy, I have a plan. I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, and he said, Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food and give to your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies." But Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, behold, I'm not so sure about this plan. It could backfire on us. My brother Esau, he's a hairy dude. <laughs> Mom, me, I'm smooth. Have you thought that one through? Because perhaps my father will feel me, right? Because he can't see, so I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a bliss. If he reaches out and he feels the smoothness, he's gonna know it's me. His mother said to him, let your curse be upon me. I will take responsibility for this. Obey my voice, go and bring them to me. Um, you getting some mommy dearest vibes here from Rebecca? <laughs> she's, uh, she's unbalanced. They developed this plan to steal the blessing away because once the blessing is spoken it won't be taken back Jacob's got some questions doesn't want it to backfire mom says I'll take full responsibility verse 14 so he went and took the goats and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau her older son which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob her younger son Ooh, that, that's, a, that's devious. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. I mean, this dude, he must have had some had hairy knuckles. And, you know, I mean, this guy was hairy. Because dad can't see as he's getting close to his son, you know, there's a sense he's going to reach out and use the sense that he has touch. So he grabs the boy and grabs him by the back of the head and feels his neck, he knows the feeling of Esau. But a a little goat hair will take care of that. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. And now it's go time. Got the food ready. Got the costume ready. Jacob is working on his best Esau voice. He went into his father and said, My father. He said, Here I am. Isaac says, Something might be a little off. Who are you, son? Maybe it's the voice, maybe it's the smell. Something's a little bit off. And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn son, I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, Question, how is it that you did this so fast? I mean, it usually takes a while to go out there and, and hunt, but you—you you, you got the job done fast. How, how did that—that that happen? He answered, "Because the Lord your God granted me success." That's dirty right there. You know why? Because that's what you call spiritual manipulation. <laughs> Notice he doesn't say. My God or our God, he says, your God. There's a detachment that Jacob has as of now. Eventually, they will share the same God in that relationship. Jacob is very immature. He will eventually grow. But he says, it's your God. Uh, Have you ever been spiritually manipulated before? So you have to be very careful of what goes forth from any church stage or pulpit. Because what can happen is this spot right here can actually become a platform for the narcissist. And what happens is language can be used to manipulate others. I'll give you a, a common phrase that's often used to do that. God is telling me to tell you. You ever had that happen? God is telling me to tell you This Now, in certain contexts, that might be understandable, as long as we're sticking to the words that God has given us. But what you have to understand is whenever God speaks, that word is equally authoritative, so we better be breaking out the red pen and writing it down. And oftentimes what happens is people will use that as a way to control and manipulate others. It's a sense that I have a spirituality that you don't, so you need to listen to me. And who are you to disobey what God says because it goes from God to me to everybody else? It's spiritual manipulation. And Jacob is living up to his reputation. The name Jacob literally means one who grabs the heel. You know why? Because... When he and his brother were in the womb as twins, Esau arrives first, Jacob arrives a minute later, and with his hand on the heel of his older brother. Not you, me, me first, not you, me. That's why Jacob also means supplanter or deceiver. The man is living up to his very name. For several decades, he's keeping up his reputation. And it works. Dad is tricked. So why did mom do this? Well, earlier God said the younger will not serve the older. Traditionally, that's the role that takes place. The older becomes the man who rules the family's affairs, but God said, not in this family, it's going to be the older who actually serves the younger. You constantly see God flipping things upside down and reversing what man has put in place. And so I think once again, we see in yet another text, a man or a woman receiving the words of God and then essentially saying, hey God, let me help you accomplish your plan. So even though, I'm lying, cheating and deceiving someone. In the end, we're accomplishing what you want. God doesn't need your help in that way. As a result, this will lead to some dark family problems. God can work the situation out in his own timing in his own way. So what happens is when when people take a vice and turn it into a virtue, that is particularly wicked. Because what they're doing is they're saying, well, yeah, I may have violated these virtues, but in the end, the goal was right. No, because in the end, there's gonna be more drama and more dysfunction and one brother, Esau, will not rest until he has his brother's head in his hands. So here's what happens. Esau finds out, Genesis 27, verse 35. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father saying, Hey, I was deceived and tricked. (laughs) And Jacob now has your blessing. So Esau cried out with an exceedingly great, and look at this, bitter cry. And he said to his father, Please bless me. Don't you have just like one blessing to give me? Just anything? And there wouldn't be even one blessing. In fact, there would, there would actually be a be an anti-blessing and Esau lifted up his voice and wept and he becomes very angry in his bitterness in fact so much so that word gets out verse 42 but the words of Esau her older son were told to Rebecca so mom she sent and called for Jacob the younger son and said to him behold your brother Esau is out of his mind with rage because of what you did and the only thing that brings him comfort is the thought of cutting your throat not exactly what mom had in mind when she planned the deception. So, as we'll see next week, Jacob is driven away from the family. Now, here's what's really interesting. When the New Testament writers begin to reflect on these Old Testament narratives, it's fascinating to see what they bring out of the text. Like, what's the focal point for you? And it's, it's really interesting because here's what the author of Hebrews says about the life of Esau. It says, see to it, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal Because afterward, you know that he desired to inherit the blessing, but it was gone. He was rejected, and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So at one point, he's like, oh, it's worthless to me. I don't want it. And then when it came time, he's like, give it to me. Yeah, but she didn't value it in the first place. Yeah, but now I really want it because it means something to me. So this is really insightful, what the author of Hebrews says, because what he's saying is this. It was actually Esau's love for himself that created his anger. You're like, wait a minute, what? Let me put it to you like this, and it's gonna sound counterintuitive, but just hear me out. Here's the thing about anger. Your anger is always tied to that which you love. Your anger is always tied to that which you love. I'll prove it to you. So you might uh, read perhaps on your social media feed that uh, someone suffers some some terrible injustice, and you think to yourself, that's wrong, that person should be punished. Or maybe someone was punished undeservedly and you think, that's wrong, they should be set free. You know, and you get irritated by that. And then your next thought is, what's for lunch? But what happens when the boss says, I need you to come in and work on Saturday and Sunday. And if you don't, well, it won't be good for you. All of a sudden, that anger, (laughs) well, you know what it is, it's kind of like a weed whose roots begin to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And you begin to seethe with rage. How dare he ask me to do that? Right, or maybe someone treats you rudely and the offense is actually against you and you become like hostile. Don't you see? the thing that you love the most is you. And that's why you get so angry when the offense is against you personally. So if you're willing to accept it, the Bible is incredibly revealing. The Bible, as it describes itself, is like this sword that has two edges. Not only can it like cut through flesh, but it'll also cut through and, and lay your soul wide open and it will describe to you what's really going on inside your heart. And so the source of all or at least most of our anger is us and our own personal love for ourselves. And and nobody escapes this because there's so much a part of Human nature. So the Bible tells us that it's not a a sin to be angry. Ephesians 4 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give any opportunity to the devil. So apparently, anger is something that is particularly useful to the powers of darkness. Well, we know that to be true. Some of us, it's been months, years that we've had contact with people that we love because something small, Became big and it grew, and the bitterness roots are so deep that it seems impossible to uproot. What's the answer? Well, the author of Hebrews tells you first, he says, See to it, see to it. In other words, recognize it. See, we play the Christian card a lot of times, and we're like, I'm not angry. No, I'm not. And we just deny the emotion that's inside of us, right, because we think that's spiritually mature. No, we're very angry, and we need to admit it. We might even say, well, I would never wish harm on that person, but I wouldn't mind if somebody else did. And it grows, and we deny it. See, if you deny it, you won't apply it. There's a difference between what happens at Celebrate Recovery and Alcoholics Anonymous. You heard our friends say, "'Hi, my name is Jason, "'and by the grace of God, I've been saved. "'And my struggle is with alcohol,' "'as opposed to, I'm an alcoholic.' There's a lot of merit and AA does some incredible things, there's no doubt to it, I'm not saying anything negative. But at its core, there is an identity issue for people. And so to be identified first and foremost with God, that's actually part of the healing process with your anger because the other thing that we're told is that Esau was unholy. And to be unholy means that you're essentially godless. So the transition is to become, move from godlessness to being God-full. And so rather than take the anger and express it outward, what you do is you take the anger and you express it upward. If you read through the Psalms, that's what you see. You see this really intense conversation between the people of God and God himself, and they're crying out to God in their desperation and their bitterness. And in those moments, I'll tell you, God becomes very real to you. And then... Lastly, and perhaps most profoundly, the author of Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That's it. Do you want the cure, brothers and sisters, for the anger that resides in your heart? It's right there. It's the grace of God in your life. Grace is unmerited favor. Do you know the Bible describes hell as eternal you and I have offended God eternally. Any offense that you make against me is temporal. This is why, you've heard me say before, Jesus, the the two subjects he talked most about, money, because where your treasure is, your heart is, if I really want to know what's important to you, I'll follow the money. Secondly, he talked a lot about hell way more than most preachers, and here's why. You can't understand the greatness of your salvation until you fully understand exactly what you've been saved from. You have been freed from an eternal debt, an eternal grievance that God had against you, because ultimately all of those laws that you broke are God's laws. That's why the world is so jacked up. If everybody would just apply what God wanted, the world would be different immediately. So any offense that I suffer, I will admit the emotion. I will take it upward. But as I take it upward, what is the focus? The focus is actually the grace of God toward me in my life and to the degree that you forgive others it is to that degree I believe that you actually understand the forgiveness of God toward you and once again we see the gospel of Jesus being yet another salve that comes into your life and it begins to do its spade work right it just sticks that shovel deep down into your soul and it's digging it out and that root of bitterness is replaced with a soft heart that is actually grateful for all that God has done. That's why some of you need to attend Celebrate Recovery because anger is addictive. Celebrate Recovery is for those that have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Yeah, we should probably pray. Father, it's one of those sobering texts that speaks to the heart of mankind. There isn't a person in this room that hasn't been wounded some so deeply, and yet, Lord, Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He suffered deep wounds, even at the hands of those that he considered his closest friends. Father, I ask that the good words of your book would penetrate our hearts and our minds, and that today might begin a healing process for us as we admit the emotion take it before your throne and consider your grace in our lives lord and maybe just maybe those roots begin to soften and weaken until they're no longer in the soil of our souls we're grateful for the gospel and that it is in every way good news Father, in all things for your glory, we pray. And God's people said, amen.